before Mass. All right, there we go. Um, the heart is, when we hear that word, we often, obviously, we will think first of the, you know, the muscle vessel that, that pumps blood through our body. But we often also mean something more by it, something more poetic. By it, we, we also recognize that the heart is the seat of the person. It connotes affectivity, emotions, desires, thoughts, etc. And it's also the gospel sense of the word. To do something from the heart is to be an integrated person, that our actions and our desires, they mesh together perfectly. To be sincere is perhaps an, uh, another way to look at it. That our outward actions are also just an expression of our inmost thoughts, feelings, and desires. This integration of our heart and our actions is in fact one of the key motifs of Matthew's Gospel. For example, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the heart quite often. He talks about how the pure of heart are blessed. Or he speaks about uh, those who commit adultery from the heart. Or how when we speak ill of someone, we murder them within our heart. The purpose of this from Jesus is to show that, uh, that our humanity is not just about good external actions, doing good for its own sake, but that these deeds the good deeds or the deeds of virtue ultimately flow from the heart. Our desires, our thoughts, our feelings are really what orient our actions. Hence why elsewhere in, Jesus, in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells us that the, the kingdom of God is within. Now this isn't some um, subjective sense of, of, of finding Jesus as if we have to just look inwards and he's always been there or, you know, you, you know the one way people like to talk about finding your bliss within or whatever. It's, it, that's not what Jesus means by the fact that the kingdom of God is within. Rather, what he means by this is the fact that God has established his reign over our whole self, body and soul. That our heart is to live out his kingdom, to live out his reign, and that the heart redeemed is an expression of the ultimate and definitive reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus obviously brings the heart into conversation in today's gospel as well. At the end, when he says to us, says to us we must forgive our brother or sister from the heart. To forgive from the heart means to live out the forgiveness we received, to hold no ill will, to hold no resentment against someone who has wronged us. And, it's a, and really this idea that the heart and its forgiveness is again an expression of the transformative re, uh, forgiveness and mercy we have received through Jesus. Thus, to really illustrate this point, Jesus gives us a very powerful parable in today's gospel to illustrate that mercy is uncalculating. And he does this actually in part in response to Peter's question, which is very calculating, right? How often ought we to forgive? Like just seven times, right? That, that's sufficient, right, Lord? 
But it's not. Jesus gives this parable to say, not only is forgiveness to be offered, but it's to be offered in full. And so, like, I actually, I wrote my family a couple times this weekend because there's just so many interesting things in the gospel, but I try to remember to learn to keep it down to a few points. And uh, so there's three things I want to highlight in today's gospel. And the first is the lavishness of God's mercy. The lavishness of God's mercy. We hear that the slave owes the king 10,000 talents. To give you a sense of how big of a debt that is, that's about uh, 3,000 years worth of wages. It's an insurmountable debt. And not only this, the, the, um, the slave is probably someone who looks after parts of the king's kingdom, who has charge over parts of his estate, etc. And so really this debt is probably incurred by bad management, perhaps management that only brought about his own gain, etc. Um, he's, been, he's been irresponsible with what has been given to him. So this is meant to convey an impossible debt that, to be repaid, but also a sense of irresponsibility, of immorality, right? If, you, if we are in a business today and you mishandle billions of dollars, you go to jail, or you should go to jail at least, um, because of mismanagement of other people's goods. So this person, this slave, has really kind of proven himself to be someone who deserves nothing good in the eyes of justice. But the slave begs. He says, have, in the English we hear, he says, have patience with me. But the Greek um, conveys something a little bit more nuanced, and it's hard sometimes to translate. But it, it is better, perhaps, to translate it as, be long-suffering with me. Be long-suffering with me. That's what we mean when we hear the word compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. Calm, it's a Latin, right? Calm, con, with, and then passio means to suffer. To suffer with, that is what compassion is. So he's saying, be long-suffering with me. Have compassion on me. In other words, enter into my suffering. God is the patient and long-suffering one who shares the plight of his creatures to the point of actually taking on our condition to be with us in all of our suffering. And so it's really an ancient way of, another, of one of the core names of God, which is mercy. He desires closeness with us. Thus the king cannot help but heed to the request, but in a way the king give, goes, it doesn't actually give quite what the slave asked for. The slave says, Give me time and I'll repay you. But what does the king do? He for first he forgives the debt. The slave never asked for that. He forgives the debt. But then the second point comes along too. He releases him. It's a legal phrase. Uh, and it's meant to connote that he's no longer a slave. He now is a free man. So the debt is forgiven and he is free. He is no longer bound, right? Slavery means to be bound. He is a new creation. He is redeemed. But this condition, though, comes with a demand itself. 
by saying, by, you know, advocating towards the heart of the king to be long-suffering, it brings about a means that they, they kind of enter into a bit of a communion with each other. Thus, the heart of the king is to be the heart of the slave. The king is long-suffering. The slave must be long-suffering too. The free man now is precisely free because he has been given a share in the king's heart and is to be a bearer of mercy to others. Knowing how this parable ends too, it's a remarkable reflection on, you can almost call it like the wastefulness of mercy. The king probably knows how this is going to end and yet he offers it anyways. He laugh, it's lavish, it's la- and to lavish means to give more than is needed, right? It's the cup overflowing. You know, it doesn't just give half, it gives more. It lets it flow onto the table. It's a sign of generosity. But it's the hope that this overabundant generosity will bring a change of heart, that the slave will change and turn around. And this brings us to the second point, to the transformation of heart. Because now there's a parallel scene that's at play where this now free slave encounters another slave who owes him about three months' wages, a payable debt in the long run. But what does the slave do? Jesus uses a very visceral image. He grabs him by the throat chokes him, chokes him. And in fact, it even says, Jesus even uses the phrase, like he drags him to the prison. Like, this is not a man of mercy at all. And that sign of choking is choking off the breath of life. It's an attack on the very dignity of one's humanity, of the gift of God that we have within. And so it's really a satanic action almost, right? It's, a, it's an attack on the image of God that has been given to this man. And he, and he demands repayment. And it really demonstrates two things. First, I think it becomes very clear very quickly that this first slave does not actually want mercy. He just doesn't want to be responsible for his actions. You know, it's not the, I'm sorry that I did wrong. It's the, I'm sorry I got caught type of mentality at play here. His pleading He's manipulating the heart of the king to not have to bear the consequence of his actions. And that's it. That's as far as it goes. The second thing is that it brings about, um, it brings about the truth of what Jesus is trying to portray. That the encounter with the generous mercy of the king is meant to bring about a change of heart, but it doesn't. Grace is offered and refused. And it shows you the responsibility of our freedom when grace is offered. Grace is not just offered for me. It's offered to me so that I can have a share in God's heart to now be an ambassador of his heart to the world. If mercy is only extended to me and is not extended beyond me, well, the rest of the story bears... uh, bears the lesson. And we hear at the end about the king and his anger towards the slave. Again, now, just contextualize this a little bit. 
The king is not angry on the previous misdeeds of this slave. He's not angry about the financial mismanagement, the insurmountable debt, the pain and hurt that that causes him and his kingdom, his ability to extend it, etc. None of that is on the king's mind. The king is not angry about them, about being harmed in these slaves' misdeeds and his misuse of his funds. It's rather he's angry that, in a way, he's been manipulated. By calling the king the long-suffering one, the slave expressed a desire to have a share in the king's heart. Because only one who knows that heart can, can ask of that, for that. And so the king gave the slave a share in his heart, and he expects the slave, again, to be an ambassador of this revolutionary mercy, but the slave wants no part of it. So the king's wrath really is a response to the, what the slave ultimately wants. He just wants justice. Or harsh justice is maybe a better way to put it. It also, I think, is also a sign, though, taking our first lesson about the lavishness of mercy, is that it shows you how vulnerable the king's love is. It puts everything on the line in order in the hope to bring a change of heart. Right? Isn't that the cross? God lays everything on the line. He lays his son on the line. He goes to death. He goes to the edges of, of everything that is sin in order to redeem us. And he's waiting there patiently, hoping that we will take the grace that is offered. So the slave then proves the state of his heart through his treatment of the other slave. And it's the other slaves who notice this. It's kind of like an image of the church. They recognize, hey, this person isn't living the new law of the kingdom. And so they have to bring him back to the king who has to enact justice for the sake of justice and love and mercy for everyone else. If he just keeps on saying, fine, you're forgiven, the con he's never going to bear the consequence of his actions. There is a consequence to the wrong actions, but it receives a mercy, and now the consequence is to be an ambassador of mercy elsewhere. And so this is why the king enacts justice. And for the purpose, the, the purpose of receiving mercy is to extend it always. But instead, the slave is imprisoned, as we hear, until he pays off his debt. But as we know again, that debt is insurmountable. He's there forever. It's a sign of eternal punishment. Because he's already imprisoned in his heart. It's uh, actually just as a little aside. Last night I was watching um, Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life on the life of Blessed Franz Jägerstatter, who was a um, who was a conscientious objector to the Nazi regime. And there's a scene where the um, where his lawyer, I think it was, says, "If you just sign this line, you will be free." And and Franz says, "But I am free." And it's a beautiful sign that freedom ultimately is in the heart. And that's where Christ wants to work his grace. Dear brothers and sisters, the king is God and we are the slave. In Christ, we attend to the throne of the king and plead to his heart, O long-suffering one, be long-suffering with me. Not only is the debt paid in Christ, but we too are 
let go. We are released as a new creation in him and now have a share in the heart of God pierced and open on the side of the cross. And there we see what mercy looks like, what long-suffering love looks like, and that we now must have that long-suffering mercy for those still in the plight of the debt of sin. And so really Jesus presents to us really with the beauty of what it means to receive mercy, and we can even call it like the beautiful burden in a way, in receiving the dignity we have in Christ. We must now be little Christs and extend the same mercy to our brothers and sisters. Our heart must be God's heart because the only other alternative is to reject it. It's the only other way. In short, Jesus shows to us that ultimately, the ultimate thing we are judged on is mercy because mercy is always given to us. Whenever we sin, it is always extended to us. God does not halt in lavishing his mercy upon us. But if all we want from mercy is to not bear the consequences of our actions, then we've misunderstood mercy. Mercy means I want to receive something that transforms me so that I can extend it to others. And so really, a choice is placed for us today through the slave because while the slave makes his definitive choice, we still have an opportunity to choose a path. Will you choose the slave's merciless heart of stone or the long-suffering heart of God.